Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. We live in a world of constant convenience, where just about any material need can be met with a simple click of a button or a swipe of a phone screen. But what if this relentless pursuit of momentary pleasures is actually becoming the source of some of our greatest pains? Welcome to KCBS In Depth. I'm Keith Benconi, and today on the program, we're going to be speaking with Anna Lemke. She's the medical director of Stanford Addiction Medicine, and her new book is Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. In that book, she turns to brain science as well as the science of addiction to understand the root cause of both pleasure and pain, and why this time of instant gratification seems to have thrown that whole system out of whack. Dr. Anna Lemke, uh, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. That was actually a, a great intro summary of the book. Thanks. Oh, well, perfect. Uh, well, my uh, dopamine is through the roof already just hearing that. So <laughs> thanks for saying that. Um, and uh, there are a lot of threads to uh, coming together in this book. Uh, you know, we just uh, mentioned dopamine a couple of times there. So obviously, uh, dopamine, the neurotransmitter, is going to be a big player in the story that you're telling. Um, addiction also is going to be a big uh, player in the story that you're telling. But uh, to start off, I would kind of want to get to a, a broader question that I think is raised in a, a number of different ways throughout the book. Uh, that being this question of, you know, we live in this time of relative abundance. Obviously, things aren't perfect for everybody, but we have an awful lot more than we did 100 years ago. Uh, and yet so many of us struggle just to feel OK in a day to day kind of way. Um, and perhaps it's fitting that we're having this conversation during the holidays because uh, overindulgence, obviously, is going to be on the menu for many of us. But uh, it can also be said that those holiday meals are going to be leaving uh, a lot of people feeling worse than when they started. So uh, mm. broadly speaking, this question, you know, why is getting more of what we want not always good for us? Yeah, great question. And the answer is because our primitive wiring, which has evolved over millions of years to have us approach pleasure and avoid pain, although perfectly adapted for a world of scarcity and ever-present danger, is really not adapted for this world of overwhelming overabundance. And so because we're constantly inundating our brains with so many wonderful feel-good substances and behaviors, um, our brains are really struggling to compensate for that. And the result is, in essence, um, the inability to experience much pleasure in anything that we do. And the neuroscience of addiction has really um, unveiled why that is. Yeah. 
and you know that title dopamine nation it really implies that we're all in this together this is kind of the society that we're constructing right now where we are trying to find ways to meet our momentary needs in you know greater and greater ways we have uh, youtube we have uh, twitter we have all kinds of social media apps and just so many ways to make us feel good moment to moment that does seem to be the project of the 21st century uh, and yet mm. that project doesn't seem to be leading anywhere good exactly i mean if you look at this really you know at national data what we see is that 70% of global deaths are due to modifiable risk factors. And the top three are poor diet, inactivity, and smoking. Also, if you look at rates of depression and anxiety worldwide, they've been climbing over the past three decades with the highest rates in the richest countries, which really does for me um, beg the question, you know, why exactly, as you said in your opener, why on earth in this time of really unprecedented overwhelming access to all kinds of uh, substances and behaviors engineered to give us comfort, to take away pain, to give us pleasure. Are we really struggling with, you know, more varieties of states of misery than ever before? All right. So we've been hinting at it this whole time, but uh, let's introduce uh, one of the key players in this story uh, a little bit more fully. So dopamine, uh, it's a neurotransmitter. I think a, a great deal of our listeners will have heard of it because it's probably one of the, the, the most famous molecules in the world these days. What role is it playing in the story of addiction, pain and pleasure? What do folks need to understand about this humble little molecule? You know, the simplest way to communicate uh, the relationship between pain and pleasure is to imagine that in your brain, there's a balance like a beam on a fulcrum or a teeter-totter in a kid's playground. And pleasure and pain function as opposite sides of the balance. One of the most interesting findings in neuroscience in the last 100 years is that pleasure and pain are co-located. So the same parts of the brain that process pleasure also process pain. So for example, if I do something pleasurable for me, which is, um, let's say, um, I don't know, watching a, a YouTube video of Dr. Pimple Popper, which I'm ashamed to admit is uh, <laughs> one of those things that just sucks me in. Um, Very niche, but that's, uh, you know, what the 21st yeah, century has given us. Yes, that's right. And, and that's an important point that I'll get to in a second. Um, what happens is my pleasure pain balance tilts slightly to the side of pleasure. I get the release of dopamine in a part of my brain called the reward pathway. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter. It's one of the most important neurotransmitters for the experience of pleasure, reward, and motivation. Um, and I have that moment of feeling good. Um, and the fundamental difference between things that are addictive and those that are not is that things that are addictive release a lot more dopamine and release it faster in the brain's reward pathway. But one of the overarching rules governing that pleasure pain balance is that it wants to remain level. It doesn't want to be tilted for very long to the side of pleasure or pain. And our brains will work very hard to restore a level balance or what's called homeostasis. So no sooner have I started watching my, uh, you know, Dr. Pimple Popper YouTube video and released a bunch of dopamine in my brain's reward pathway, then my brain immediately adapts to the presence of increased dopamine by downregulating my own dopamine production, by downregulating the expression of dopamine receptors on the postsynaptic neuron. But the key piece here is it doesn't just downregulate it to baseline dopamine levels, it actually goes below baseline. So imagine this as these little gremlins hopping on the pain side of my balance to bring it level again, but they like it on the balance so they don't hop off when it's level. 
They stay on until my balance is tipped in equal and opposite amount to the side of pain. And that's the come down, the after effect. Or in my case, that inability to turn off the YouTube video. Or as soon as that YouTube video has ended, that restless desire to want to watch another one right away. That's the gremlins hopping on the pain side of my balance. If I resist that urge, the gremlins hop off and a level balance is restored. But it's really essential to understand that for every pleasure, we pay a price. And that price is a mini dopamine deficit state. And then here's the other key rule governing this balance. With repeated exposures to pleasurable stimuli or rewarding stimuli, the initial pleasure response gets weaker and shorter, but the after response, the gremlins hopping on the balance to the side of pain gets longer and stronger. So that if we continue to expose our brains repeatedly over time to reinforcing substances and behaviors, we ultimately end up with enough gremlins on the pain side of the balance to fill this whole room. We end up in a chronic dopamine deficit state where nothing is pleasurable, where the only thing we're focused on is our drug of choice, where we need to keep using not to feel good, but just to feel normal. And when we're not using, we're experiencing the universal symptoms of withdrawal from any addictive substance, which is anxiety, irritability, insomnia, depression, and intrusive thoughts of wanting to use our drug. So when I think about the increasing rates of depression, anxiety, suicide, the world over, I think that one of the main drivers of this is our unprecedented, almost universal access to highly reinforcing, highly potent, highly novel, feel-good substances and behaviors, some of which didn't even exist before. All right. We're going to expand on that in just one second. I just want to reintroduce you real quick. This is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping lives in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi speaking right now with Dr. Anna Lemke. She's the medical director of Stanford Addiction Medicine. Her new book is Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. And we just heard a little bit about how the science of dopamine uh, and the neurotransmitter itself is uh, underlying a lot of the experiences that we have of pain and pleasure, reward and uh, motivation and how in some ways this has become maladaptive to our modern times. So essentially what you're saying is because we do have this process where the rewards get smaller and smaller uh, and we find ourselves getting in this deeper, deeper, uh, deeper and deeper hole of needing more and more of, you know, this behavior or this drug to uh, make feel good and make up for that dopamine deficit that we're getting uh, at the end of the behavior. Um, because of that, uh, we're o- overindulging and just kind of slipping deeper and deeper into this problem and uh, perhaps uh, in, in a way that wouldn't have been possible in centuries past. Yes, exactly. So our primitive wiring is a huge mismatch for our modern ecosystem. Again, you know, this kind of pleasure pain balance was evolved over millions of years to make sure that whatever pleasure we experience uh, with repeated exposure, it gets less pleasurable. And why would mother nature do that? So that we remain eternal seekers, never satisfied with what we have, always willing to work for more. And this is a great neurobiological system in a world where you have to keep seeking. You have to walk tens of kilometers a day to find food, to find water, to find shelter, Mm. but it's an absolute disaster in, you know, the environment that we have built today, which is this incredible world of shocking overabundance. And so let's bring in the thread of 
addiction to all of this, why would uh, overabundance be related to addiction? Uh, you uh, answer that question, I suppose, in a number of different ways in the book, but I may, maybe a good place to jump in would just be the way in which you present the stories of uh, many of the people that you've worked with, you you actually have a clinical practice and you've, you've worked with people addicted to many things over the course of uh, your career, and you really drive home the point that, you know, you, you give some I- extreme examples of addiction and people whose lives have really been uh, thrown into turmoil by uh by extreme cases of addiction, but you you show that the underlying mechanism that is producing those extreme addictions are exactly the same mechanisms that underlie uh, some of the problems that we all face in our day-to-day lives. So there really isn't a clean dividing line between what we like to think of as somebody who is an addict versus somebody who, you know, maybe just overindulges here and there. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're hitting on some key points in the book. There's no doubt that there are people who are more vulnerable to the problem of addiction than others. You know, about 10 to 15% of the population struggles with severe addiction at any given time. And, you know, a huge portion of the vulnerability or the risk of addiction is inherited. It's probably an innate biological vulnerability um, complicated by developmental factors, you know, early childhood trauma, um, the, 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 the home environment related to, Um, whether there's implicit or explicit um, condoning of substance use. But one of the other major risk factors for addiction, separate from, you know, inherited risk factors and early childhood development or family development, is the simple risk of access. It's probably one of the most important risk factors for developing addiction today, which is to say, if you live in an environment where addictive drugs are readily available, then you are more likely to try them and you are more likely to get addicted to them. And quantity and potency of the drugs that you have access to are a huge uh, aspect of whether or not you will become addicted. So if you have access to highly potent uh, drugs with an unlimited supply, i.e. TikTok, then you are that much more vulnerable to the problem of addiction, even if you don't have any innate biological or inherited vulnerability. And I think it's that piece that I, I, you know, people often forget the simple risk of access. It almost seems too obvious, but, you know, we're living in a drugified world. Everything has become drugified. Food is drugified. Learning is drugified. Social connection is drugified. Um, It's very clear that traditional drugs uh, like cannabis and alcohol and nicotine are more potent than they ever were before, are more available. We now have drugs that didn't exist before, TikTok, uh, video games, and these are literally infinite, like you don't run out of these drugs. Um, and, and the result is that we're all struggling with addiction. Granted, it's a spectrum disorder, and you know, uh, not everybody's gonna be in the same place on, in, on the spectrum. The majority of people will be able to observe that they're kind of going off the rails and, and you know, self-correct, whereas, you know, a, su- a subset of people will not and will really fall precipitously into very serious life-threatening addictions. But nonetheless, this is working on the same mental machinery, right? That pleasure-pain balance that we talked about. And the phenomenon is not, there's not, there shouldn't be an otherness about it, like, oh, it's over there and I don't have that problem. Because if you, the truth is, if you own a smartphone, you're probably struggling with some form of compulsive overconsumption. Right. And that's a, I think, a really interesting thing to reflect on, just this fact that 
whether we are talking about a smartphone addiction, which a lot of folks have, or whether we're talking about a heroin addiction, it dopamine and that that simple process that you're talking about of you know setting it too high, then having it regulated back down, and being in a a dopamine pit and looking for a way to get out of that dopamine pit, so returning to that thing that makes you feel good. It's that right. same basic mechanism that is. Uh, underlying all these behaviors, so it's a it's a much broader uh, spectrum than I think of behaviors and substances that I think than I think uh, probably most of us appreciate. Yeah, absolutely right. And you know, one of my <clears throat> revelations, you know, in my own life, you know, treating I mean, I treat people with very severe addictions of all sorts: some addictions to drugs and alcohol, pornography addiction, video game addiction, social media addiction, gambling addiction, shopping addiction, you name it. But you know, even I myself, with all of my knowledge found myself compulsively over-consuming romance novels and getting to a point mediated largely by my e-reader, which made access all of a sudden that much easier, um, you know, kind of spiraling with that behavior and, and getting to a point where it really was interfering with my, with my life and with my values. And kind of then having sort of a wake-up call at some point um, after a conversation with a student and realizing, oh my goodness, uh, could I could I be getting addicted myself, you know? And so this, and I talk about that in the book and I do that, but, you know, again, to just sort of draw this analogy be between people with severe addiction, who I really do hold up as modern day prophets for this dopamine overloaded world and, and everybody else, you know, because uh, we're all really on the spectrum. Well, Dr. Anna Lemke, I mean, if we're going to be sharing right now, I guess uh, I was on the fence about whether or not I was going to talk about my personal addiction. But the big one for me is uh, podcasts. I mean, I guess it it kind of yeah. is fitting for the job that I have. But I really have a hard time sitting down to a meal without having some kind of audio content plugged into my ears, listening to a show, learning about something new, hearing about the news. It's it's really difficult yeah. for me to unplug. And I think yeah. what's interesting about uh, this example and the example that you just raised of uh, romance novels is that by most objective measures, these are relatively benign things. I mean, we're not talking about right. a heroin addiction. We're not even talking about necessarily right. a, a food addiction. Right. Uh, but even these benign things, given the level of access that we have and how easy it is to get, they can right. become a problem. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's really generous of you and also just helpful for people, you know, to kind of maybe reframe or rethink about their behavior. Because the, the key point here is, again, access and potency. So not only are there a million different podcasts that you could listen to, but there are a lot of really good ones, right? And there are, oh, yeah. you know, interesting things to learn about and learning releases dopamine. We, we know that um, from a number of different, you know, experiments. So it, what's happened is we've taken parts of our brain function, which are fundamentally healthy and adaptive for us, meaning that they're good things. And yet because of the way the world is now, this hyper convenient world, because of the potency, because of the access, um, we, we've managed to turn a, a good thing into a not so good thing. Um, yesterday, I was teaching in the psychology 101 class here for Stanford undergraduates, and I had whole line of kids after the class you know, lining up and coming up, well, you know, it, it, could this be addicted? And do you think I could, you know, I had a couple of young women and, and interesting, I've only had this from young women um, say to me, you know, can you get addicted to a person? And I was like, well, I mean, it's, you know, love and sex addiction is, is well-documented, you know, human attachment releases dopamine when people like us, when, when we connect with other people, when we have 
the same emotion as another uh, person has at the same time that all releases dopamine. Um, that's been, you know, that's been shown. Um, and so, yeah, anything that releases dopamine that's been now drugified in some way because of increased potency, access, novelty has the new potential to be addictive. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. introduce you one more time. Uh, we are speaking right now to Dr. Anna Lemke. She, once again, is the medical director of Stanford Addiction Medicine. We're talking about her new book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. This is KCBS In-Depth, by the way. I'm Keith Manconi, and we've been talking about some of the many challenges that we're confronted with in this uh, modern time where things are so convenient, things are so easy to get your hands on, but uh, it's not always good for you. So, Let's talk about what this science points towards in terms of remedies and how we can get ourselves out of these dopamine holes. One of the big themes of your book is that simply unplugging, stepping back from that thing that you're addicted in for some period of time is oftentimes a very important step. So essentially, you know, we're not going to want to hear this, but uh, abstinence is oftentimes the answer. Yeah, right. And that, that period of abstinence, I, I recommend 30 days because in my experience, it takes about 30 days to reset reward pathways and bring, bring dopamine levels back up to normal baseline levels. Um, and I have an acronym in my book based on the word dopamine uh, in which I encourage people first to just sit down and write down or tell another person, you know, what is the substance or behavior they feel that they're over consuming um, that would, that's, that's the D for dopamine stands for data. The O stands for objectives to think about, well, why do I do this? You know, what, what is it? What's the positive for me? Is it, you know, it gets me out of my head. Um, it's a reward after a long day, uh, makes me feel less lonely, less isolated, what, whatever it is. What are the, what's the objective for using the P is the problems associated with use. Um, you know, what, what are the downsides? Am I doing things now that are sort of against my values? Um, is it interfering, you know, with my, my other goals? Uh, is it making me physically unhealthy? And then the A of the dopamine acronym uh, really stands for abstinence. And abstinence means uh, taking some period of time, if not a full month and whatever, you know, people are willing to do away from our drug of choice. And again, that is in order to reset reward pathways, but also to give us the ability to look back and see true cause and effect. Because when we're in our drug of choice when we're chasing dopamine, it's really hard to see its true impact on our life. We'll, we'll tend to overestimate the benefits and underestimate the harms. But a period of time away, very fascinatingly, allows us to see the downsides and then we can use that information to make informed choices. And I won't go through the rest of the acronym, but, but that's really the, the heart of it right there. 
Yeah. And so you're you're calling for this relative reset and sort of reappraisal, but you're not necessarily calling for abstinence forever. You you're saying abstinence at first, then moderation later. Yeah. So there are, um, you know, some people, even people with addiction to certain drugs and behaviors, who after a period of abstinence can return to using in moderation as long as they um, carefully monitor and put self-binding strategies in place to limit their consumption. And self-binding strategies are more than just willpower. It has to do with really changing your environment so that you limit your access to your drug of choice. Um, but even for those individuals, I mean, the, the, the other reason really that, that, that it's important to talk about moderation, because obviously not everybody will be able to moderate some some people will have to abstain forever, but there are some drugs from which we just simply cannot abstain. We cannot abstain from food for food, people with food addictions. They have to eat. Uh, we, people, most people consider sex a healthy part of, of life. So we wouldn't necessarily want to recommend abstaining from sex, but what about people with sex addiction, digital ad uh, addictions? You know, we can't really abstain from uh, digital devices and participate in the modern world, but what, what about people with tech addictions? So moderation becomes a really um, important theme in the book, talking about how to moderate. Yeah, and you uh, just mentioned one of them, uh, self-binding, basically this idea that you're creating some external forcing control on yourself that prevents you uh, from uh, using that thing. And you, you raise a, a number of different strategies, uh, and I suppose what a lot of them uh, point towards is, you know, uh, finding ways to disengage and be happy in a quieter space in a in a world less full of immediate gratifying obviously pleasurable activities and 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 substances and uh again this might be a, a tough pill uh, for, for a lot of us to swallow because we do like our nice shiny things but is that ultimately the antidote is finding ways to be satisfied with less well, I think you're right. That's sort of the long-term end goal. But what I emphasize, and I think it's super important to emphasize, is that when we first um, try to abstain from our drug of choice, it's not uh, it's not a good feeling at all. So you know, to, I, I never say to people, "Well, you know, um, get rid of your drug and 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 you'll you'll have a better life," because initially your life will be worse because the pleasure pain balance will tip to the side of pain. You'll be in withdrawal. You'll feel panicky. You'll feel anxious and you'll feel like you can't make it that you won't be able to go without the drug, but tincture of time alone will ultimately get you through uh, that painful process. Um, you know, as your own body starts to upregulate um, its own endogenous dopamine production. So I always like to warn people that in the long, long run, Yes, um, it, it's a way to be more content with a less indulgent life, um, but that first we have to be willing to both tolerate pain in our lives and potentially invite pain. One of the major messages in the book is that just, um, just like when we press on the pleasure side of the balance, we ultimately reset um, our pleasure pain balance to the side of pain. It turns out that when we press on the pain side of the balance and intentionally seek out painful things, we can, that is a potential source of more enduring dopamine that will cause those gremlins to get on the pleasure side of the balance and actually ultimately reset our pleasure pain balance to the side of pleasure. So, um, you know, one of the things that people can do uh, when they 
try abstinence in addition to just uh, learning to tolerate the initial pain of not using is to actually intentionally go out and do things that are hard because doing things that are hard uh, spurs our body's own self-regulating and dopamine upregulating mechanisms to kick into action and will ultimately give us more joy in the long run. And that could be something as simple as going outside for a walk, getting up off the couch, or maybe in a more extreme case, going out <laughs> for a jog or a long bike ride. Yeah, I'm glad you appreciate that. It, you're exactly right. It's a spectrum, right? For some people, that really literally is just leaving their homes, um, you know, which is something some people haven't done in a very long time. For others, um, you know, to get dopamine uh, upregulated, it may require, you know, a vigorous bike ride, but it's not just physical things. There are sort of cognitive things we could do. One of the things I recommend is ra radical truth telling, try to go through a whole day, not telling a single lie. Turns out it's really hard to do that. Uh, we tell about one to two lies on average per day. So it takes, um, you know, effortful cognitive engagement to tell the truth. Um, but it's, it's really helpful in the long run for a not overindulging. And in the book, I explain kind of all the reasons why. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking with Dr. Anna Lemke, once again, her book is Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. And it's just, it is somewhat striking that uh, a lot of these prescriptions that you're uh, handing out are, are, are not what I think a lot of us want to hear. You know, we want that pill that yeah. makes it okay to be doing what we're doing. And uh, we just get to keep watching our videos and eating our ice cream and uh, sitting on the right. couch and, uh, and still continue to feel okay. But you're really suggesting that that is a path to nowhere and that uh, there, there is ultimately no way to make that work. Uh, you, you also suggest in the book that there are, and, and just uh, we, we only have a couple of minutes left, but just to, to close out, to kind of get the broader view on all this, you suggest that there are broader societal issues uh, at play here if we don't learn as individuals how to get this self-regulation uh, question right. You know, we are overindulging, we are overconsuming, uh, and we are uh, seeing rates of addiction rise and uh, even, you know, some evidence of uh, Americans experiencing more pain than uh, folks elsewhere in the world. So, you know, there are some uh, pretty uh, big issues at play uh, if we don't get this right. Absolutely. And I would add to the list that you just generated, you know, we are um, also destroying our planet. Mm. So our compulsive overconsumption is not just harming us individually and collectively as societies, but it's, it's also harming our planet. And one of the things that we know is that um, we can endure a lot more pain if we're enduring it for a, a greater purpose, or if there's a sense of meaning around it. So, um, you know, if, if you're not motivated by just wanting to feel better, um, then maybe you'll be motivated by, you know, wanting to save the environment because the truth is that the less that we consume of these feel-good substances and behaviors, uh, the, you know, the less, the less energy we're consuming, the less we're de depleting our, our forests, fisheries, and fuel sources. All right. An awful lot to think about right there. And, uh, uh, probably important things for us all to be reflecting on as uh, we face down our, our next plateful of pie uh, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, we have been speaking to Dr. Anna Lemke. She is the medical director of Stanford Addiction Medicine. Her new book is Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. Dr. Anna Lemke, thanks so much for sharing that with us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. 
You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.